This podcast is sponsored by Bailey Gifford. Their podcast series, Short Briefings on Long-Term Thinking, brings you in-depth knowledge and challenging points of view from Bailey Gifford's investment managers. Search online for Bailey Gifford Short Briefings. Hello and welcome to the NMA podcast. This week, we're taking you around the world as part of our special takeover issue, a world tour of financial planning. The team has spoken to CFP representatives and firms in eight countries to garner just a little insight into the gargantuan task of building a global financial planning community. What follows here is just a snapshot of those conversations. We begin in America, where editor Will Robbins speaks to Financial Planning Standards Board Chief Executive Noel May about his efforts to respond to what is, for many people across the world at the moment, a personal finance crisis. I'll sort of start with you, yourself. Now, your, just the, your background, how you, how you got into this. Because uh, mm-hmm. you are, am I right? Do you, are you born in Ireland? I was born in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, tell me. Yeah, and because um, you and you've, yeah, I was looking at you. Born in Ireland, come come to financial planning by way of quite a big PR agency, um, <laughs> uh, Gilvie Adams and Reinhardt. Tell me about how, how you went from from Ireland uh, to to I believe you're in Colorado right now. Yeah, yeah. So you could either say it was a series of misadventures or it was just what we call life. But um, I went to college in Dublin. Um, studied microelectronic engineering, specializing in telecommunications and systems design. And then after that, thought it would be good to go and teach English in uh, Madrid. So I think for me, um, my brain has always been languages, math and sciences, either is fine. And so I ended up settling on, I was working in a a public relations agency in New York, uh, Ogilvie Adams Reinhardt and specializing in financial services clients. And so I was working with a lot of large banks, large insurance and reinsurance companies. And then there was one little client and nonprofit group out of Colorado. And they had this vision of creating a standard for professional advice so that people would give advice that was in consumers' interests and that would actually, they would help people plan the lives they wanted to live. And just for me, that was infinitely more compelling than any of the other client work I was doing to the point of view where obviously I did a good job at really getting the word out on what was financial planning, why should you work with somebody who's competent, ethical and qualified. And they asked me would I go to Denver to sort of set up the communications function at over the CFP board in, in, in the US. And I went and I said, I'll go for two years. Um, and that was now maybe 25 years ago. So I spent about a decade you know, basically in the communications, stakeholder engagement, spokesperson advocacy in the US. And then as the program, and I oversaw the international department, but then as the program started growing internationally, there was a real desire on the part of the international community to say a global effort shouldn't be run as a department within a US entity, it should really be global. And so there was a multi-year effort to launch Financial Planning Standards Board, which I was actively involved in, and then in the process of spinning that group out, they asked me would I become the CEO. And so I've been there since it was founded in 2004. So I spent the last 25 years uh, leading the professional associations involved with establishing financial planning as a global profession. How is the brand of financial planning doing? Um, mm-hmm. you, know, this is the, you know, how 
how are you how has that been you've been able to develop that and and when you know you you know from your from your background <laughs> you know yeah. uh, well, how's how's that going? I mean, it's it's obviously is reach across the world, um, but um, you know, even in the UK, as we we know, it's still it's still perhaps not as not as well known as it could be. Yeah, yeah. And look, the the real issue on this is that's sort of been the challenge and the opportunity for us for the last, you could say, 30, 40, 50 years, depending on who's counting. Um, and, and the issue at the end of the day is, um, you know, I think the level of sort of financial literacy, the level of financial focus around the world, maybe isn't where it could be. So a lot of times when we're talking about what financial planning is, we actually have to cut through maybe a lot of noise to really get people's attention, to have them understand there's maybe a different paradigm, a different way of looking at things. I, I think, you know, there's a large product pushing focus that comes out through the financial services community aimed at consumers. And we're really sort of shifting that to say, um, wouldn't it be much more interesting if you talked to somebody and got professional advice that was in your interest, and in fact, the products followed the advice. Um, and, and I will say what's interesting is, you know, in the time of COVID, and to some extent with the global financial crisis of 2008, I was talking to somebody last week and they said something I thought was really compelling. They said, at times like this, People don't look for products, they look for advice. And, and, and so what's fascinating to us is we know the value of financial planning, we, we communicate and promote the value of financial planning, and once people experience it, they know the value of it. So for us, it's really about converting people to understand, actually, here's this community of people who are gonna work in your interest, who are holistically trained to kind of look at all aspects of your life, but ultimately, you, the client, are equally responsible to participate in this process. So it's not just you hand this off. You're, you're part of the deal. Um, and then when you look at a time right now, now more than ever, people are going, I want good advice. Um, I want somebody on my side. And I, to some extent, I want somebody to kind of calm me down. Um, and, and we did global research back in 2015, uh, consumer research. And, you know, the sort of the main, it, it was something like the vast majority of the world, people aren't confident, people aren't confident about what they know about financial matters, they're not sure they can stay on track. Um, and, and what we saw is that the people who were doing financial planning, the people who were working with financial advisors, and certainly the people who were working with CFP professionals, were getting that sort of peace of mind, and they were able to stay on track. Um, and it was interesting, like our U.S. group, uh, CFP board did a recent survey and, and some of the other affiliates are doing it too. So some of the people may have talked to you about it, but they went out and they said to the CFP professionals, what's happening right now? What's happening with your clients? And what the, the majority, the vast majority of CFP professionals are seeing, at, which happens at times like this, is there's increased interest. People are contacting them. Um, and it's all about um, a sense of stability, a sense of comfort, wanting to know they're okay, um, and to some extent getting some level of assurance that the plan they're on is the right plan. And, and I would say the advice back from the financial planners now is predominantly stay the course, you've got a plan, but also then with a little bit of like, okay, let's look at rebalancing, let's look at near-term interests, but within the context of the longer-term plan. You know, outside um, that those existing clients 
you know, people, it has been revealed to the general public that they didn't have enough saved for a rainy day. I mean, and also every country has been able to respond differently. I certainly have seen, you know, in the UK, we have a furlough scheme. We've been able to uh, yeah, yeah. people's salaries. Now, that hasn't been possible, I don't think, in America quite the same way. And obviously, we're seeing reports yesterday of, of um, you know, people, people, you know, people, basically people with good jobs um, find, finding they haven't got enough money. Um, that's not isolated yeah. to, by any means. Um, globally, and this, this is, a, I mean, globally, what I feel is, you know, now you're a global organization with a global crisis, a global personal finance crisis. Now, is, this an is this the opportunity for financial planning? Um, and and how can how can you or your or those member organisations grasp that? Yeah, yeah. And look, so you know, to, to sort of speak a little to what we're doing at the global level, we're probably doing some couple of things to various different stakeholders. You know, there's engagement of government government and regulators, there's engagement of practitioners, and then there's the engagement of consumers and clients directly. So if you think about it in a cascade, you know, basically there's regulations and compliance in place. That wasn't ready for a fully virtual world. So suddenly you're engaging clients, but you need an, an original signature. Well, that's not going to work in, in the current environment. So there's there's actually our affiliates around the world are engaging with regulators and governments and authorities to say, how can we actually put in place a system that will still keep the protections for consumers in place as they're engaging with financial services? But still allow them to be serviced in a fully uh, virtual world. So there's a lot of work going on there. Uh, we also have practitioners who are have to transition to a fully virtual practice. And for some of them, there's no big deal. They, they were virtual to begin with and it was easy. For others, there's a process involved in there. So, so there's a substantial effort on the part of the global FBSB network to say, let's make sure we can help planners, CFP professionals serve their clients in this new engagement model and then and then the last area but probably the most important area is the work we're doing around direct client engagement so you know some of the things we've done is put together sort of a consumer guide so financial planning and uncertain times some of that work came out of the uk we ran it up through our global communications advisory panel it went out and now our affiliates around the world are getting out these this consistent set of messaging to the public around what to do uh, in terms of financial planning and uncertain times. The other part, um, you know, each year we, for the last four years, we've been doing World Financial Planning Day as part of IOSCO, the International Organization of Securities Commission's World Investor Week. And mm -hmm. what we've talked, so a lot of our groups already do financial planning weeks. They do a lot of pro bono outreach. They do a lot of financial literacy and education and training. And so we're using this um, current situation to really actually stitch a lot of those together. So as opposed to just talking about World Investor Week, World Financial Planning Day, we're looking at the next seven months of really connecting mm. all that are going on at national level into a cohesive message that basically says, you know, financial planning has value, um, staying the course and having a plan makes sense being thoughtful about the sort of integration of your financial choices makes sense. And certainly the global community now of like 190,000 certified financial planner professionals across uh, 26 territories, this is a community that's gonna actively work with, you know, governments, media, consumer groups to, to get that word out. 
In the next section, Will speaks to Brazilian financial planner Gisela Colombo de Andrada about the challenges of offering advice in Brazil. Tell me about your background and how, like why or how and why you became a financial planner, a CFP in particular. Now, okay, um, I've been working in the financial industry for the last 32 years. And uh, around 20 years ago, I joined for the first time to a private banking team. For this, I used it to work for a large corporate, nothing to do with financial planning, personal financial planning. But when I joined a private banking team, I understood that uh, most important than talk about financial products, investment products, it was to understand the needs of the families that I was um, advising because uh, depending on their needs or their horizon of investment, uh, it would be completely different the solution on, or the advice properly. And then the, at that time, uh, the, uh, the end of the uh, 90s, beginning of the, the 2000, there, there was no CFPs in Brazil. Uh, yesterday, we, we just completed 20 years in Brazil, the certification in Brazil. So uh, I studied a lot. And when the bank I, was, I had formerly worked for uh, decided to send some, uh, some employees to, to test and to, to get the, the certification. And one, a friend of mine, uh, he told me that I should try. Go and challenge the test because you have the experience. You are a CFP, you just don't have the certification. And really, it, it was a very uh, difficult time in my life personally. And I wasn't thinking about certification, but um, I listened to him and decided to challenge the test. And I got the certification, my first tentative. This was around, uh, I made the test in November 2007. So I got my, my certificate properly on February uh, 2008. So I've been on CFP here in Brazil for 12 years. And it's interesting because I always uh, work at, uh, inside the banks. I was never uh, really, I'm never an independent CFP yeah. professional, but uh, I, I'm really a CFP. Nowadays I work in a multifamily office. Uh, my clients are, big clients, at least for Brazilian uh, yeah. patterns, they, they are around, uh, at, at least they have 50 million euros uh, invested. Okay. And, and broadly uh, all across the world. Yeah. And it's amazing because in, in my job, I have to understand their knowledge about the, the markets, their knowledge about their uh, state properly. Uh, I have to understand their thinking about the future and help them to build yeah. all the all the organization. In the UK, they've just changed the way uh, they they assess the the CFP. So out of interest, did you just take one one long exam, or how do you? Yeah, I remember about that. Ten years ago. Yeah, oh, no, nowadays our, our exam is, is uh, has uh, six uh, six divisions, but you okay. can take it 
together, but plus you have to have at least three years experience with clients and you have uh, to, um, let's see, the experience, you have the exam, you have to yearly, uh, you have to adhere to a ethic code. Yeah. We have a, a, an ethic code. Yeah. Um, and every year you have to, uh, I think the same as you, every same. year you, you have think, to, yeah. uh, some hours, uh, around uh, 30, 20 hours a year that you are yeah. actualized, you are making studies and things like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Every, I, yeah. In, the, in the UK, they just had a thing where they, um, they had to do the exam and the, the, the assessment, the, the, fun, the, um, yes. the plan, like as all of it was like, oh, yes, yeah. we, we were trying to, 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 to put this obligation here the, to develop a, a complete financial plan for a family. Yeah, for yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, they've, they've just changed it so that you do the exam first and then later in the year uh, you, could, you do the big financial plan and then you can and that gets you only when you've done the financial plan do you get the CFP. But you're, if you do the exam bit first, you still get a qualification, you get a, like a level of qualification. So um, it's more difficult. You know, you're offering advice for free, or not for advice, but sort of guidance to to people for free, for free, or, uh, or yeah, uh, yeah. We have some workshops. some some workshops, or sometimes uh, we have here some events during the year that uh, the 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 planner that we talk to. We have small groups, small work yeah. groups inside planner, and one of them. Uh, is dedicated to offer voluntary uh, um, hours to attend poor people during some determined periods of the year. Okay. So we, we have a special week. It, it's usually in May. This year is gonna, it's not going to happen, but usually in May, we have a week uh, dedicated to, to attend poor people. Then in October again, yeah. And sometimes um, some friend asked me to have a family, so I'll do this for free because yeah. I have my main job. Our journey now takes us to the Netherlands, where we hear from Willem van der Mark, owner of KPP Personal Financial Planning. I started with this master course of financial planning. And after a couple of years, they came in touch with the CFP and we had the possibility to also get our CFP degree and do an, an exam also in, in Rotterdam at the University uh, of, of Erasmus University. Oh. Um, on the species of the uh, CFP, of course, all the exams have to be sent into to the United States. And the reason for me to, to do that was because I'm in the middle of uh, the Netherlands working in, in the area around uh, Amsterdam and there are a lot of expats working here um, also people from the United States. So it was nice for me to have this title as well, because it was uh, a, a lot of people from the United States, they know the CFP title. Yeah. So it was a big plus for me to have this title. Yes, so that's how it all started. Yeah. yeah, I was wanted to ask you, you know, why, yeah, what in, what, it, what sort of, what inspired you, whether, you know, to become more than a, you know get into planning properly but in in that time in terms of the people you've met has there any been anyone in particular in the community who's who's no, really it, kind of it, it, it were it were just the clients who gave me the who opened my eyes 
Wow. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and let me see that there was mo much more possible if you combine, for example, um, the, the, the mortgage with the pension planning and the investment planning and the tax planning. So that, that uh, so I, I was very interested in these financial puzzles. Uh, yeah. So when I was working as a, as a pension advisor, I was a kind of sales manager and had 30 people uh, below me, I, which I had to manage. And um, I found out that the financial planning itself was more getting my interest than managing people. So then I got the opportunity to start with an office here in, in Bayern, a little village around Amsterdam, where I could uh, be a, be a, a joint venture with, with someone who already had the office, an, an elder man, so I could take, took over the office after two years. Um, and my dream was to have an office with all the elements of financial planning inside. So we do have a lot of entrepreneurs as clients. So we do also do the figures for companies who do the tax advice for companies. We have the insurances and um, mm. investment planning, pension planning and, and mortgages. So we have uh, uh, 12 people working here and all have their own specialty in financial planning. You mentioned your clients. Yeah, I was going to ask, I mean, you've, you started answering this question already, but I was going to ask who your clients are. So you said a lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah, not, not only, but, uh, but uh, I think 40%. Yeah. Okay. This podcast is in association with Bailey Gifford. Find out more about their range of funds and investment trusts at www.baileygifford.com. I know, I mean, what are their, I suppose, getting, you know, a bit of local flavour, I suppose, but, you know, what are their, what are their sort of goals? What are their sort of aspirations? What, what are their worries typically? Um, you, you mean at this time, at the corona time? Well, I mean, indeed. <laughs> well, we could talk about that, yes, it may, maybe in a minute. But I mean, in, yeah. perhaps before coronavirus, yeah, what, gen, you know, where was, what was sort of, um, yeah, of for example, we answering for them essentially. I, I have a lot of people from the media. We are, we are around the, the televis television broadcasting area here in the Netherlands. Okay. And a lot of people are making a lot of money and working as an entrepreneur for the, uh, for the broadcasting. Yeah. And they're very good in making television programs, but they, they are not aware of their finances. So they would like to have a kind of financial mirror. Do I, am I doing things right? Yeah. Um, and uh, how long do I have to, to, uh, to work and to build them some extra for my pension or can I afford to buy a house? Um, uh, and the, the nice thing is if they go to an accountant, um, I always say accountants are rowing in the river. So they look backwards and they explain what have happened by the figures. And we are also canoers, so we are looking up front the stream and do financial planning. And so we have the combination of looking uh, backwards what have been done with the figures and then say, well, we, we, can, we can go ahead but do it another way or, or fine tune things and, and, and do the financial planning. And that was very uh, um, easy for entrepreneurs to have one telephone number for their figures and their planning at once. In terms of financial planning, is there an experience that sort of has made you a better financial planner there's sort of something along the way you know whether it was a client outcome or something that happened to you that you feel kind of you know added to your to your abilities there yes i think uh, it's, it's a funny question i think once i helped someone who was very in financial trouble uh, divorced and um 
in a very bad health condition and i and i helped him for free and mm. make such a good impression on this man that he 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 told everybody around him you have he needs some financial planning you have to go uh, to william so they brought me a, a lot of clients uh, so not to have a, a very big client for myself but just to do something for free for someone yeah uh, that, yeah, that, that has a lot of spin-off later on. Yeah. Just specifically, how do you charge? How much do you charge your clients? Uh, we charge an hourly fee. Okay. Uh, uh, and it's uh, including the VAT, 202 euros an hour. Okay. It's 175 excluding the, B the B2B. Um, yeah. And if we make some estimations, how many hours we expect, the work to be yeah. you do fixed prices for example if someone needs a mortgage with that it's about three thousand euros um and 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 that fee is if it's for mortgages tax deductible for the clients okay so, so that's that's even an, another advantage they have if if i do an we, we i'm also a mediator so i do a lot of divorces and okay. it's very difficult to make an estimation how many hours that will cost so that's something i do on an hourly base uh, and, and also the pension advice we do on an hourly basis. Um, yeah. uh, speaking about the portfolios, we work with a fixed percentage. It's not, it's not very big. It's 0.6. It's, okay. it's, it's, it's uh, very cheap compared to banks. That's why we have a lot of clients. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the damage insurances in the Netherlands, we also have a damage uh, insurance portfolio, um, like the movable goods insurance, the house insurance, the cars. Right. Yeah. This is... This is still a commission based in the Netherlands because the commissions are very small. Yeah. And, but, but, but because because we have about 1,500 clients and they all have the assurances with us, we can have two people in the office who take care of the assurances. Right. And, and if I went to, so if I went to, or I came to you asking for a financial plan, what would yeah. happen? It the was the financial plan is 1,275 euros. Okay. For an uh, for an uh, 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 a private person, uh, for for an entrepreneur, it's two thousand five hundred euros. Right, and see so what you've done essentially. So that's a fixed. And everyone who, who 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 will have a mortgage with us needs a financial plan. Yeah. Uh, okay. For example. So, yeah. Would that be? Yes. So you'd say, well, yeah. So that would be kind of added on on top or include not yeah that's, that's included so the mortgage is on itself is 2000 euros and 1275 yeah. is for the financial plan so that makes it 32 and a half yeah yeah okay and you've you and you've calculated all that based on your hourly charging model presumably yeah yeah so it's approximately 20 between 20 and 25 hours yeah the mortgage if you know how some, some clients ask more hours than others and well we take the average yeah yeah, and and for something that's really open ended, like as you say, the mediation, you have to be able, you have to leave that more open ended. But other things you can say, look, I'll give you an. Here's just the average time it takes. Yeah, yeah. that makes total sense. Hourly charging hasn't. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's still in the UK. There's a lot of uh, most most firms charge a percentage. Uh, for so the financial plan will be charged by a percentage too. Mm -hmm. Um. I don't know. Is that are you normal? Is that is that normal for, for the Netherlands? How you charge? Well, 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 for example, if you if you take the mortgage as an example, because that's easy to explain. Yeah. We, we we charge to be honest one percent with a minimum of three thousand two fifty, and a maximum of seven and a half. So I right. just came back this morning from an, an a client in Amsterdam, 
who has an, a mortgage of one and a half million, we charge him seven and a half, which is half a percent of the mortgage. Yeah. Uh, and if someone buys a house of 200,000 euros, we charge him 3,000 euros, it's one and a half percent. Yeah. So, but, but the mainstream is in between these 3,000 and uh, 750. But um, so, so the, 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 the amounts may differ. The episode now takes us to South Africa, where special features editor Charles Wormsley heard from WealthCreed director Gugu Sidaki about ideal clients and setting up a financial planning business in a country still scarred by historical racial tensions. What, what is your sort of yeah. ideal client? So I don't know how much you know about um, South Africa, the demographics and, and the history. Um, but wealth management, financial planning, investment management was never really something that black people yeah. participated in a lot, right, if at all, both from a client perspective and as a, as an, from an advisor perspective. Um, my, my business partner and a number of other people that I know are usually part of a, a very small minority whenever we attend, you know, these financial planning events or whenever we go to wealth management or, or planning sort of structures and events you know it's, yeah. it's people that look like us that are in the room and and the clients are, are pretty much similar to that and um so when we when we crafted our ideal client and who we wanted to 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 work with it, it was a lot of that in mind um yeah. a lot of the people that we interact with um, just from like either family or friends, a lot of them have never had the opportunity to to engage a financial advisor. Um, you know, people are making a lot more money than they have before. They're a lot more educated. So many things are going right in their lives. But for some reason, when it came to financial advisory and financial planning, um, there's always a bit of a stumbling block, you know, and and our decision was was to change that for for our target market you know, to, to make this industry, to make this environment a lot more accessible to them. Have you faced many challenges as an individual? Um, you know, is there, have you, if you don't, feel free if you don't want to talk about it, it's fine, but you know, kind of cases of discrimination or kind of an attitude towards you that, um, uh, you know, that makes it harder to, to bridge that gap? Uh, you mean with the clients that we're dealing with at the moment? Clients, but also within the profession, um, you know, has there, is it kind of difficult sure. to get your voice out? Yeah, um, particularly in the beginning, um, because then, you know, I, I didn't have much experience. So there was a lot of that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and typically dealing with clients that didn't look like me, it, it did get intimidating, particularly, like I said, especially in the beginning when you still know very little. Um, have I experienced out, outright racism in the industry? No, it hasn't been that no. bad. I, I have to be honest there. But um, I think a lot of the time it's been a lot more of me being a lot more self-conscious and, and aware of the environment yeah. and the space I occupy and, and sort of, you know, internalizing that, if you will. And, and that's been my inhibitor and that I've, I've, I've internalized a lot of that environment and sort of made it an issue of mine mm. and, and um, again a big part of of moving to towards a, a business that I, I now manage and run was was part of that I, I wanted to make the space comfortable I wanted to make it accessible so that people don't necessarily have to go through that if they are looking for an advisor what kind of savings culture is there in South Africa mm. 
Um, so our typical clients are, are black yeah. um, and predominantly female, um, professional. And, um, and there's, there's, again, there's a bit of a, a fair split between those who are in their accumulation phase. So almost new professionals in their late 20s and sort of your, your middle-aged clients who, who are quite established, quite experienced, um, sort of mid to late 40s who are, you know, almost nearing retirement or starting to think about retirement and who've built up a fair amount of assets. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely more, more women than it is men yeah. in, in, in our business and, and predominantly black. We, we don't have a great savings culture in, in the country. Mm. Um, our, our clients, and I'll speak particularly for the younger ones, um, they, are, they are seeking us out. They are finding us. So we, we haven't actively gone and looked for them, but they've come to us directly where they've just, like I said, they've just started out in their careers or they've had a couple of years in, in and they realize the importance of, of saving and investing. So there's a very big shift and there's a very big difference in terms of young professionals and, and what it is that they're, they're trying to achieve with their money. They're wanting to build that asset base. They are very interested and very curious about investments and, and they want that information from us. And, and it's quite positive. It's, it's actually yeah. quite exciting yeah. to see uh, because we are definitely going to be eliminating that, that issue of, of them getting to retirement and, and realizing that they don't have sufficient capital built up. We now return to the US to hear from CFP board ambassador Charles Weeks, who told us that he expects big changes to the way advisors charge their clients. We then hear from Joel Redmond, an American financial planner at a private bank in the country, who himself ended up in hospital during the pandemic. So why did you become a, a CFP planner in, you know, to begin with and what really inspired you? So uh, kind of my inspiration was uh, my dad was starting to meet with financial planners and uh, not even so much financial planners, but he was just meeting with financial advisors to start to talk about his retirement. This was uh, probably about 2005-ish around that time. And he would bring it home to me and I had just graduated uh, college and I would look over some of the stuff that uh, they were putting together for him. And um, some of it was very good. Some of it wasn't so great. And kind of seeing his experience and what he went through, there wasn't so much a focus on planning as a lot of it then was still just kind of asset gathering. So it kind of prompted me to, to want to do more planning for him um, and talk about some of the other issues that he might run into that could affect his retirement. Uh, mm. This was mostly just investments that were being covered. They weren't talking about things like long-term care insurance, uh, elder law planning, liability coverage, things like that, that could totally impact, you know, your retirement. So mm. it really prompted me to want to do more than just the investing side of things, which I love that aspect of our business, but it's one part of a much bigger picture. And a lot of the bigger picture stuff gets ignored. It's interesting you talk about fees where you have, you know, a bit of a horses for courses approach, um, which you don't see terribly often, even in the UK and my native Australia, to be honest. How, how common is that in, in the US, in the advice market? What that that you serve a bunch so of different different fee structures or your know, horse of courses approach? Yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's very common right now, but I think it's going to be. I hmm. think that that's kind of the future of the industry. Uh, somewhat is that there's going to be a lot of clients that don't want to just pay an asset under management fee. Uh, there's hmm. going to be some people that'll say, "I want to handle my own investing, but I want to know how much should I be saving every month for my kids' college." You know, and can, can you recommend 
where I would put them. So I don't think it's very common right now, but I think it's going to be. The CFP itself carries a lot of weight and it's an important mm. designation. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that don't have that designation necessarily, uh, that they just don't have the designation that are calling themselves planners. Um, and I think that's something that, that we need to kind of clean up as an industry mm. so that the CFP just, it lets people know exactly what they're going to get. Um, so that, you know, somebody that is, is focusing on one specific area, whether it be insurance or investments, uh, that they're not doing planning, can't call themselves a financial planner. You know, the yeah. only person that can say I'm a financial planner should be, in my opinion, a CFP. Why did you become a CFP planner? Um, and what inspired you? Sure. So uh, I started in this industry uh, in 2004. And I had spent some time kind of in the wirehouse world. And, you know, I got my, it's actually, I'm coming up on 10 years, which is hard for me to believe, um, being a uh, certified financial planner certificate. And I think the, the main reason was just that, um, that, first of all, I saw the right, the kind of the direction that the world was turning. And one of the directions was, um, there was this breed and this kind of training that told you how to sell products, you know, and how to, uh, you know, interact with a client and then hopefully, you know, persuade them or get them interested in this type of investment or that type of investment. But I just wanted something broader. And I think a sense that there was something kind of broader out there. And, you know, one of the questions I think you were asking was people would have inspired you. Well, I had a manager at the time who was, uh, you know, just a great, a great encouragement kind of along those lines. And he, uh, you know, his, his ethos was go fast, uh, learn things, break things, you know, don't be afraid to do that. He probably should have been in a tech startup instead of yeah. a warehouse or brokerage. But he, uh, one of his themes was just, uh, you know, make, make things extraordinary, make your day extraordinary, do what you can and make it extraordinary. And that, that was his thing. And, um, well, I said, that's great. You know, I, I want to do that. I just, I don't know how. So if you don't know how, I mean, you, you know, you can be the most personal person in the world, but you have to know something. So, yeah. and I think what appealed to me probably most was, uh, kind of the body of knowledge and just what that program you know, enabled you to do and kind of that power that you could have if you could uh, help someone reach what they're trying to do um, by giving them the right advice on just managing their financial affairs. So that, that seemed like this, uh, an incredible power. So that kind of encouraged me to, to go on that journey. And I finished and got my certification in September of 2010. And um, that kind of opened a new world for me, you know, professionally. I, I switched. I only stayed at the place I was at with that manager, his name was Frank, who's a great guy, for about another year. And then I moved to kind of a new world where I still am, where I serve a lot of high net worth clients as part of a team. And so I was hired to be kind of the planner on that team or the technical resource for financial planning on that team. And so it's, I mean, I can't say enough about, about the certification and just the things that it's, uh, you know, it's done for me. Obviously, we're in, I know it's a bit of a buzzword, but unprecedented times over the past few months. Sure. What what approach have you, what are your clients asking you, your existing clients, and what are their main concerns be over this period? Yeah, so, and our clients range from all sorts, but there, a lot of them are business owners, a lot mm. of them are, you know, medical professionals, um, usually in their 50s to 70s, I mean, that range for many of them. So there's a lot of questions about all the stimulus packages, right? I, I wasn't unfortunately around for all of this because I was a little bit under the weather for a mm. time last month. But 
we've had a ton of inquiries about different loan programs and different things that the Treasury and Congress have enacted, the SBA, our Small Business Administration. So the Paycheck Protection Program um, has been a recent, um, I think a huge thing that clients have been you know, concerned about. They're still asking, for example, there's still a lot of questions out there about loan forgiveness. You know, it, how does the loan get forgiven? Does the SBA issue any of the guidance? You know, obviously there's been enormous volatility in, in financial markets. Um, you know, that downdraft through uh, March 23rd and then the, the subsequent, you know, 30% rise again. So you know, people are feeling like they're a little bit tossed, you know, on, on the waves. And, you know, to their credit, we have an investment group that's been really, really proactive of reaching out with calls, you know, arranging calls at first weekly and now biweekly, uh, making sure that we're reaching out just, you know, to make sure that their, their asset mixes are still appropriate. And in some cases, you know, they, they pared back. You know, if that pair back helps them be better five years from now or 10 years from now, even if they miss a little bit of this run up now, you know, mm. that, that with that client and it's worth it. No, very good point. And speaking of the pandemic as well, what is, I think you um, said something about it earlier, but what has your experience been like since um, lockdown in your part of the world? Um, talk me through that if you can. Well, I contracted COVID. I've had oh, COVID. God. So I was, I was in the hospital for eight days myself, five of them in the ICU. Um, and so I, you know, I don't even get it intensely personal here, but I have intense personal knowledge of it. Yeah. Um, you know, back, back to strength, fortunately, this was in the second week of April to the third week of April. Um, and it takes a while to ramp back up. So hmm. there's a legitimate reason why, uh, you know, people are concerned, of course. Um, the older they get, the more their, their immune systems are uh, weak. You know, unable to, if they have existing conditions that, you know, are respiratory, pretty dangerous. Um, so a lot of what we've done is we've provided as much information as we can without being doctors, right? Without being epidemiologists. Yeah. Fortunately, a lot of the financial firms, a lot of the other firms that provide information to the uh, to clients in the community, have some pretty incredible coronavirus resources. So not only does you know the the bank that I work for have a ton of resources. There's the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. They have a, you know, a resource page. There's, you know, there's there's manifold resources that I think we've been able to to get out to clients. In this final section, we hear from Australian financial advisor James Gerrard, who told us about his plans to change his business model. Um, why did you become a CFP planner, um, and what inspired you? Um, I, I guess I've always had an interest in finance from when I was a teenager. One of my friend's dad was a CFP and we were all playing um, cricket. Uh, we were in a team after school and we we're all waiting outside for our dads to pick us up. And my friend's dad comes and he's in this brand new BMW. I'm like, <laughs> Whoa, what did your dad do? He's like, Oh, he's, he's like a financial advisor. I'm like, all right, sweet. I'll do that as well. So um, I, I started in the industry for the wrong reasons. It was all greed and money and motivation <laughs> that way. But over time it, it's, um, it's been really rewarding um, and some of the benefits that have come out of it that I didn't really expect. So I mentioned, I just went mountain bike riding. I met, I went mountain bike riding with one of my clients. And so um, I'm really good friends uh, personally with a lot of the clients that I've taken on. And so them having the trust in me for their finances, but then developing those relationships uh, has been really why I'm a CFP now, um, given that back then when I was young and silly, I probably went in for the wrong reasons. Well, tell me about some experiences that has made you a better financial planner over the years. Um, so I, I think it's just going through things with clients and going through tough things um, with them and experiencing tough things. So um, like at the moment, markets are down 30%. Um, I've got clients who are retired and 
um, it, it's not great because uh, they're not working anymore. So they're feeling anxious and their balances drop. But going through that with them and speaking to them and being proactive and buying stuff while the market's down, it, it sort of uh, makes you a stronger advisor going through those things. So next time these things come around, because I went through the GFC and the, um, and so you sort of know what to expect and how to deal with it next time. So I guess it's um, just like extreme experiences, whether it be markets or whether it be um, you know, deaths in families with clients or clients getting divorced, um, all those type of things strengthen you as an advisor and, and help you, um, I guess, next time you come across those type of situations. No, fair enough. We'll get on to new clients in a bit, but with those existing clients that you have, what kind of questions have they been asking you and really what advice have you been giving them? Yep. Uh, so they haven't really been asking any questions, um, which is great. Um, yeah. I've been surprised. I thought they'd all be in touch freaking out, but um, I must have trained them pretty well. So they're, they're, all, they're all being good. Uh, so what I've been doing is um, along the way, as we went into March and markets just crapped themselves, I sent out mass emails saying, look, don't panic. This has happened many times before. Um, and every time in history, markets always go back up. So just a sort of a reassuring type email to the whole client base. And then uh, I've got 300 clients in there. They're spread mainly in Sydney, probably about 85% in Sydney. Uh, but then I have clients around the country. And then I've got a few in London and Singapore and other places um, around the world. Um, so we reviewed every one of our 300 portfolios, which we usually do over a space of 12 months. We did this in a space of uh, um, probably three or four weeks. Um, and then we looked at how much cash we had, what the strategy was. And then we said, all right, we want to buy oil stocks. We want to buy warehouse investments in Sydney. We want to buy some banks. And then we started contacting every single client. So we've just finished that on Friday last week. And so we said, markets are down. Your portfolio is down. Don't panic. It's going to go back up, but let's help it go back up quicker by buying more stuff over three different tranches. Mm. Um, so we basically, I've got eight staff that work with me and we, we stopped all other things and we just focused on this little sausage, uh, like, like a factory where one person generated portfolio reports, another person put them into a, a spreadsheet, someone else analyzed them. I checked it, another person did an email. And so we're just going through every single portfolio. Um, so I guess in these type of times, you just really need to be proactive and show your worth as an advisor. Mm. Well, you've certainly been busy. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's, it's, it's quiet and down now. So um, that's why I can go mountain biking um, this afternoon. Exactly. Yeah, you're God, I'm sure you've entered. Um, with the, you said you had some international clients too. Um, how do you manage that uh, well, in terms of contact and you know, keeping in touch? Yeah, so they're mainly um, Australian citizens who uh, become expats. Ah, so I've got a few, a few in London. Um, they're either working in finance or legal or IT and uh, born in Australia, gone to the UK for maybe anywhere from three to five years. Um, so we just do the reviews via um, this type of thing, Zoom or, or Google Meet. And um, they have an advisor over there for tax and um, for their UK pension plans. But I then sort of relate everything back to, well, you, you're spending less money overseas, you're earning more money, let's send some money back to Australia and invest over here. So there's still a lot of stuff uh, that I do with them, even though they're, they're overseas. I'm going to pivot the business a, a little bit more. So here in Australia, I write for a newspaper called The Australian. Um, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, that's a national newspaper. So um, people find me um, all over the country because I, I write um, in this newspaper and my business is called financialadvisor.com.au. And so traditionally I focused on picking up um, clients in Sydney, but um, throughout this uh, lockdown period with COVID, I've had people approach me from all over the country, a lot more than I usually would have, um, saying, look, um, I'm probably, I'm not precious anymore about having to go down to the local town to see an advisor. 
I, I just Googled and found you, you seemed all right. So let, let's have a chat. So I'm, I'm going to um, pivot the business more to be a digital advisory firm because we've got the, the business name for it being our website. As a bonus bit of fun, we decided to test the NMA team on how much they know about the countries covered in this special edition of the magazine. So to recap, there are five countries discussed in this podcast. One question per country with a bonus two questions on general geography that should allow players to redeem themselves should they find themselves in a bit of a pickle. First, to shout out the correct answer gets the point. You only get one shot at answering. Makes sense. Excellent. Question one is on America. The Rocky Mountains begin in the Canadian province of British Columbia and end in which southwestern U.S. state? Is it A, California, B, Arizona, or C, New Mexico? Is it California? Incorrect. E. Incorrect. Oh. New Mexico. Correct, Jack. It is indeed New Mexico. Question two, Brazil. How many times has Brazil won the World Cup? Three, four, or five? Three. Four. Three. Five. Correct, Charles. Five. Oh, of course. It is, it is five. That's a complete indeed. step in the dark. 19, 1958. Yep. 1970. Yep. 1994. 2002. Yep. And there's one I'm missing. Oh, 62 as well. That's great. Very good, Charles. Very, very good. Uh, question three is on the Netherlands, uh, also a World Cup team. Uh, but what makes Dutch men unique? Are they A, the tallest in the world? They are the shortest in Europe? C, do they cycle the most in Europe? Tallest. That is correct, Charles. Get two, you're now on two points. Jack on one, James and Laura, you're yet to be in the game. Dutch men mm -hmm. are indeed the tallest in the world. Question four is on South Africa. What is South Africa's official name? Is it A, the People's Republic of South Africa, B, the Republic of South Africa, C, the Federation of South Africa? Republic of South Africa. James, that's a point for you. Well done. It Woo! is indeed the Republic of South Africa. Question five. Hemisphere inside knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, question five is on Australia. Um, what does the Australian term drongo mean? Clue, it refers to a person. Is it A, stupid, B, lazy, or C, rich? James, you should, should know this. A. You speak Australian, don't you? That is A. James, you do get a point for that. He talks Australian like... Bloody drongo. So I can just turn it on. I also learned that the pejorative term for someone who uh, is overly reliant on uh, the welfare system is a doll bludger. Yes, also I correct. Didn't, I didn't know this. That's very interesting. Mm. It's pejorative though, so don't use it. Yes, no. Um, question six. This is the bonus ge geography uh, question, part one. How many countries are there in the world? 194, 195, or 196? 196. Incorrect. Ooh, Correct. 195. Oh, yeah. Correct, Laura. That's a point for you. <laughs> you got it wrong the first time. Oh, it's yeah, you did. I always do a country's quiz, and it, there's 196 because it includes Kosovo, okay, which is not technically a country. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Fear we're straying into tricky political territory here. We should avoid. <laughs> uh, question two, the bonus round. How many times? How many time zones does Russia span? Is it nine, ten, or eleven? Nine. Nine. Ten. A anyone else? Ten. Eleven. Correct, Laura. Is uh, eleven. Uh. Is 11. <laughs> Thanks. So, final scores: James and Charles are tied on two. Jack and Laura, you both have one point each. Um, 
I don't want to do a tiebreaker round because I don't have a question to ask you, uh, but Charles and James, you both walk away with your heads held high. Well done. Thank you for playing, everyone.